You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Good morning. Is this thing on? Are we good? We're good now? All right, great. Awesome. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be back. Uh, The Shunks and the Chow took a little bit of a road trip to uh, San Francisco uh, to check out the UCLA Foster Farm game. And I think Mark got a little sick from the uh, San Francisco weather. It was really cold. And the word Southern California, wimpy. And uh, San Francisco was just freezing. And I appreciate the Shunks. And we had such a great time up there hanging out together, check out the church in San Francisco, and uh, just uh, as you're, you're visiting with us, uh, I just want to let you guys know this is, uh, our church is worldwide uh, around the world, that's why it's called worldwide, but uh, the church in San Francisco is doing great, and I think, uh, I heard rumors that Russ is coming down to preach for us, uh, not here, we try to get him, but uh, down here in LA, uh, sometimes within this year, but uh, this is such a great time to welcome those that are visiting us as well, because uh, I, I see some familiar faces that I only see uh, during the holidays. So you're visiting our church uh, from another church. Please stand on up so we can recognize you. All right, welcome. We want to welcome you, and uh, it's great to have you. We always look forward uh, to seeing you uh, during the holidays. But uh, as I said, Mark and I uh, and, and our families, we went to check out the UCLA game. It was great to see Johnny uh, made some great tackles, although UCLA lost the game, but it was just great to see. And, and I told Mark, I said, it's too cold. These kids are Southern California. They can't, they can't play up in the Bay Area. It's too cold. So next year, let's have the Foster Farm uh, tournament down here. Happy New Year. Um, appreciate Jack. It's kind of the... the, the um, um, welcome this morning, and Jack asking us to really think about just reflecting on the year, 2015. And I always get a little, I told you guys before, I always get a little melancholy uh, during the holidays, because it is a time to reflect and to celebrate, but at the same time to look back at the year in anticipation of the next year. And I love this song, it's by our modern day poet John Lennon and his wife, it's a little sad, too, you know. Um, he uh, wrote this song during the 70s. And um, he's still writing it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, he wrote this, this lyrics, and, and you guys know this song, right? I always get a little depressed, you know, in the midst of all the holiday cheers. This song comes up and I go, oh my gosh, what have I, what have I done during this year? And he goes, so this is Christmas. And what have you done? Another year over, and a new one had just begun. I'm very reflective as I think back about the year, because I think life is extremely valuable. And as I get older and older and older, life becomes a little bit more valuable, not in the sense I want to live longer, but there are things that I want to accomplish, and there are things that I want to do, and an impact that I want to make, uh, not only in our family, but in my life, in the church, and throughout the world as well. And Lennon wrote this song during the 70s, uh, during the the protest of the Vietnam War, and he and his wife staged a sleep-in. 
You know, if you guys heard of uh, fasting and, you know, walking and, you know, protesting. But what they did was that they did a sleep-in. And this is, you got to understand, this is the hippie era, right? So Robin, you, you know this, right? Robin Horton. I mean, this is disco. This is right up there with disco. Hey, I'm just trying to relate to disco, okay? So we know that people, as we look at our lives, we want to make a change. We want to make a difference. We look around the world that we live in and that, that we interface with, and we go, what can I do to make it better? Okay? And uh, I feel the same way. I think about 2015, I look back, okay, what are some good things, reflecting back, what are some things that hmm, could have done better? Let's do better in 2016. And uh, the first thing we want to do is we want to get a new projector for 2016. <laughs> like, that's like on my list. Like, new projector. The left one, okay? I'm going to get the wrong one, but that's the first thing that we're going to do. Okay. But scripturally, it's the same thing. I mean, these poets that we have, whether it's John Lennon or Jay-Z or whomever, they write about society, right? From their perspective, and they touch upon something, and perhaps it's not total truth, but they get a glimpse of what the truth is. And we look back in the Bible, and we see the scripture in Ecclesiastes, which is a book of wisdom, and the writer says, you know, what do the workers gain from their toil? What have you done? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. It's a never-ending process. Finishing up last year, as Jack talked about, and thinking about this year. And we can go into 2016 looking like, what a humongous burden that God has laid on humankind. Or we can go then to 2016 and go, you know what, what, what can I do? What can I do? What, what kind of difference can I make? I got this one year that God, hopefully he's going to give all of us. What can I do to make a difference? And the Bible says this. It says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. That God reveals things in his time. He has also set eternities in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So what does God say? What does the Bible say? The Bible says that God, in his creation of us, he's put something great in all of us, something that is more than just the temporal, you know, seasons coming and going. There's something inside that God has programmed us that gnaws at us, that makes us even though we live day to day, day to day, trying to earn that paycheck, you know, day to day. But there's something greater that we are reaching for in our hearts. And people do it all the time. We're not the only ones. Because that is to every single man, every single woman, there is something inside of us that wants to reach for greatness. To be like God. To live up to the image of our Creator. And that's what the Ecclesiastes writer is talking about. Like, there's something in us. Not just John Lennon or Yoko Ono or all these people that are aspiring to be president in 2016. It's going to be a good year. I'm really excited about this election cycle. It's going to be interesting. The Trump man, he's kind of thrown everything in there. Very interesting. Okay? But when we look at those things, we go, you know what? Those things are outside of our influence. 
besides our one single vote, what can we do this year that will change not only eternity for ourselves, but for other people as well? You know, Jesus came here, and he was also campaigning. And what he promised us was so great that it was the fulfillment of that scripture that we read earlier in Ecclesiastes 3. Because the whole point about Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is that you can try all you want. You can have, you go back and read Ecclesiastes 3. It's one of the four books of wisdom, you know, Job, uh, Proverbs, uh, you know, one of the four. And he says, listen, I've done everything I could possibly do. I've built great things for myself. I've had people serve, and you know, I, I didn't have like a CD player. When I wanted entertainment, I had actually people in my home to entertain me. If you read Ecclesiastes, that's what he says. He says, I've built so many things that people, in other, in other, compar- it pales in comparison. He says, I, had, I amassed great slaves. I amassed a, a, a huge number of, of wives and concubines. And he says, the delight of a man. You know, you look at the world today, most of the commercials, that's what it sells, right? It sells relationship, it sells sex. And yet, you know, the writer of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, those people says, I got it all, yet it still did not fulfill me. Because Jesus says what? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. It's an illusion of what we want. You know, during the holidays, I had a little more time to watch a little TV, a little more TV, you know, hanging out. I saw Inside Out with the family, and I cried, you know, a little bit. It was dark, so I was like, you know. After the movie, I apologized to my girls. I said, you know, Dad was terrible, you know. Could have done better. And he said, Dad, we don't remember. I said, okay, that's good. Let's move on to the next movie. You know, but you, you think about things, right? You reflect. But there are so many things today that they, people throw at us, society throws at us. You know, I love listening to campaign speeches. I mean, it's like, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you that, I'm going to give you everything, I'm going to solve the world for you. And they really don't, and every year we get disappointed. We look forward to the next election cycle, right? Always. It's, it's, it's just an endless cycle. Jesus changed all that. And if we are willing... If we are willing to wholeheartedly, faithfully, sincerely believe in him, it will change our lives. It will change the way we think. It will change our perspective, our outlook, what we go after. It will change everything about our lives. And that's the hope that we have. So we don't have to go out and search for all these crazy things to fulfill just for the moment. We have something that sets us up for eternity. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That was Jesus' campaign promise. I have come that they have life to the full. You know, when I was working for a company, one of my best friends, and I loved it. Every year we would project into the next year, thinking about, you know, the cost of labor in China, like how much that was going to cost, the cost of fuel, you know, how much would it cost to ship stuff over, and we would set our prices. 
you know, we, were, we would hope that, you know, the Chinese market, they, they're, it was kind of bad, actually. You know, we would hope that, you know, as their labor market was progressing, that they're not going to progress too fast because as labor market progresses, they would demand more health care. You know, and then after a while, you go, you know what? What is the cost of this cheap product that we're getting? It's a zero-sum game, meaning that if we get something that we benefit from, somebody else in so many ways really suffers for it. That's why Jesus says, listen, what I have to offer is not a zero-sum game. It's not like you gain something and someone else loses something. I am here to give all of us life to the full. There is no negative. There is no detraction somewhere else. That was his campaign promise. So for 2016, you know, we thought about different themes, different ideas that, you know, as John prayed for, that this year will be a great year for the West, a monumental year for the West. And we have all these great things that we're thinking about. You know, we have this field that God has given us called the West Side. And yet there are so few of us that have really impacted Beverly Hills or, you know, Marina Del Rey or Malibu and, and those places. And those are great dreams out of ourselves, out of our comfort zone, maybe splitting the service, you know, getting into services where maybe it's smaller to pull people more up. And I appreciate Jay, you know, uh, pinch hitting today for the song service. I did not know that, Jay. Now I know. You're going to be over here a little bit more often, I think, you know, just to let you know so you can set your schedule for 2016. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like we have so much work to do. We are nowhere in representation in all these different areas that God has given us. And I really believe that it is our responsibility. But I tell you what, we can only do those things if we do them. You know, the Bible says that when David talked in the Psalms, he says, listen, he says, you know, you fulfilled me so much that my cup overflows. It's like what Robin talked about today in her communion. He says, you know, unless we are compelled by Christ's love, it is a limited resource that we have. And relationships are really tough, especially at church. You know, I told you, my sister, when I became a Christian, she said, Ken, why do you want to do that for? Why do you want to get into people's lives? And why do you want other people to get in your life? It's messy. But unless we really get back to the source, no matter how great we are, and there's some great people in this room, there are some incredibly loving, talented people in this room, intelligent but that's not enough. That's not enough. It's, 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 it's an illusion. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So today, as we kick off the year, we need to ask ourselves a great question. You know, what is our basis? What is our foundation for our lives and for our church? I propose to you a campaign. For 2016, and instead of Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders, who is Bernie Sanders? Okay, that's another story. Okay, I propose that for 2016, our campaign would be Jesus 2016. Amen? I think it's pretty good. Jesus 2016. I'm getting good at this. Can you tell? It's like I had a lot of fun over the break. 
like, click, 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 click. You know, I was like clicking all over the place. Jesus 2016, it is the foundation of everything that we do. There is no argument, right? In the church, you know, it's like, hey, kid, where are we going? What direction are we going? We're going Jesus all the way. How are we going to do this? Jesus. What do you want to do? Jesus. There's no argument about that. It is the common denominator as we look in all of us. That we are inextricably tied to the hip to Jesus. Amen? What did Jesus say? You know, the book of John is so deep that commentaries and theologians say that it is so deep that an elephant can swim in it. And yet other theologians say that it is so understandable that even a baby can wade in its waters. That's how, how great the book of John is. It's so deep and yet it's so accessible for all of us. And Jesus spent so much time in the book of John, you know, towards the end of, you know, it chronicles about two weeks, you know, over half of the book in the book of John chronicles about two weeks of his life. Don't quote me, but that's pretty close. And he was talking to the disciples, and the disciples were peppering him, like peppering him. Like, we followed you for three years, okay? I don't got a husband, I don't got a wife, <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you got for me, Jesus. And Jesus said this, he says, he answered, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, there is no other way. There is no other way. There's nothing that you can present that's going to compare to me. And we're going to break this down today. And we're going to see why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And what does that mean for us today? Point number one. I am. I am. You know, we don't follow a God that is a figment of our imagination. We don't follow a God that is just a representation of a truth. We don't follow a God that was, wow, that's, what a great idea, or we look away at some of the things that they've done because it would tarnish who they really are. We follow a God that eat, ate, lived, sleep with us, so much so that the apostles gave up their lives because they believed in him. They believed in him to a point where they were, they were willing to lay down their lives. There is a reality of Jesus that we need to tap into. There is a reality to Jesus that really needs to be around us 24-7. The way we think about things, we need to have a consciousness that, hey, look, Jesus is right here with me. I think we would really consider... Tony, you want to come on up, Tony? We need to consider the proximity of who Jesus is. I think it would really condition what we say. Don't you think? What we think. What we feel. If we really believe that I am is right here. You know, we lived in Asia for a number of years. 
And I'm convinced of the reason why people like idols so much. They like idols because they put an idol up on the stage or in a corner of the house. They go and they bow down to it. And they say, you are God and I'm not. And you do what you do and I do what I do. But Christianity is different. Jesus says, I am. I'm not an idol. As a matter of fact, it's pretty offensive that you would think that I'm an idol. I am the great God. And there's a reality to it that if we can tap into a consciousness about God being right next to us, it will change our behavior. It will change the way we think. It will change everything about us. A few decades ago, there was an experiment that was done. It's called the experience uh, machine. And it was a hypothetical experiment that posed this interesting question. It says that, um, we're going to give you a choice. You can be plugged into a machine, float in water, and we will plug all these things into your mind, and you can live out for the rest of eternity this state of bliss, whatever you want. We can program that in to your mind. There is a condition, though. The condition is that you're going to have to say goodbye to your friends. You're going to have to say goodbye to your family because you're going to have to sign this death certificate because basically your body will be dead, but your mind will be fully active. And you can, we can program whatever you want. Your wildest dreams and fantasies and, and aspirations, we can do it. 24-7. And when he sat people down and they asked them this question, would you do it? Would you trade in your physical life for this life? And not surprisingly, an overwhelming majority of people said, no way. we rather be in touch with our reality as, as, as frail, as tiring, as weak as we are, we'd rather live that lifestyle than to go into this fantasy land. Now, I think sometimes we'd like to escape for a little while, but at the end of the day, we are created in physical form. There is a need for interaction. There is a need for touch. There is a need for each other. And that's why Jesus was not just a pipe dream, a book that God gave. He came to on the earth to be with the disciples, to walk with them, to touch them, to feel them. How many times you read in scriptures what it says? They ate together, even after the resurrection. What happened? Jesus spent time with them eating fish, eating breakfast, getting time to touch my hands, feel my hands, take a look and see for yourself. I am real. I am real. We're going to look a little bit later on on what that means for us. Number two. The way. The way. You know, the word way in Greek, in this particular context, it connotes two things. It connotes, one is the path. Okay, Jesus is the perfect path. The only authorized version of a sacrifice that God accepts as a human being. He's the only one. No one else. Where people say, you know, I can show you the way. See, I grew up for 21 years of my life as a Buddhist. 
And that's what you find. And I'm not trying to disparage any. I'm just saying, I don't want to know the way. I want the way. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the physical. I am the path itself. And there's another connotation, connotation to the word in Greek. It's also the way of life. Meaning the lifestyle. You see, Christianity is not just an intellectual belief or a belief that even Jesus is real, but it translates into a lifestyle that Jesus says, I am, I am the way. And the Greek word is um, hodos. As Christians, our lifestyle reflects our belief. People don't even need to hear our proclamation. All they need to see is our lifestyle. And they go, something is different about that person. That person is tied into something greater than this present situation. That's what God calls us to be. The way. You know, over 2,000 years ago, there was a group in, in uh, the Middle East. They were called the Essenes. They were so committed to the way, the lifestyle. They gave everything else they had, and they gave it away. And they moved into this community called the Qumran community. And they, with their set of books, the scriptures, lived out their lives, dedicated to following God's word. I think it's pretty cool. Here's President Obama, our first African-American president. I thought it was pretty cool that in our lifetime we get to see that. And maybe in 2016, well, in our lifetime, we'll see the first woman president as well. Now, Hillary's getting kind of old. I think that she's hoping in her lifetime she'll see uh, a woman president as well. well. I thought this was kind of cool. That Obama, when he visited Israel, went to the museum with Netanyahu, and he checked out the scrolls that these people left behind. It was an indication of what they believed in in their lifestyle, the way that they were basing themselves on God's word as living the way. Number three. The truth. The truth. There have been studies done, and they've asked men and women, married men and women, to sit down, and they've asked them this question. They pose again a, a hypothetical question. They go, you know, there is a chance that your spouse is having an affair and that he or she might be cheating on you and we can find out for you, would you like to know? Would you like to know? And again, the results are pretty astonishing, but not really. A vast majority of the men and women who were posed that question said what? They think about it for a little while, they ponder it in their mind, but a vast majority of them said, yes. Yes. I would like to know. Even though it's unpleasant, even though it's painful, even though it's really going to be tough, they said, I'd rather live and know the truth than to live a lie. 
You know, G.K. Chesterton, who is a really phenomenal Catholic theologian, he made a point about a captive animal. He says that, you know, a, a, a caged lion is truly not free because it goes against, it's, 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 it's quite theological. He goes, it, it, it is an antithesis of that being because they are not meant to be like that. They are meant to be out. They are meant to be living free. We are meant to know the truth. We are called to live by the truth. And no matter how painful and how hard it is, God wants us to know the truth tempered with grace. That's why the scripture is like truth and grace. Speaking the truth in love. Because the truth needs to be so much tempered and surrounded by these different things. I appreciate John. He gave me 40 minutes today instead of the traditional 35 minutes that we use. And he says, well, I'll give you five minutes for the fluff. And I go, I like fluff. I don't know about you, I like fluff. I think fluff is good. There is a part of life that needs fluff. We need to be surrounded by fluff sometimes. Amen? Amen, John? All right, thanks, John. I, you know, the truth. 2016 has got to be a year where we hear more truth. More truth. More truth couched in grace, couched in love about ourselves. The truth about what God wants us to be, come more of, what we can become more of. I want 2016 to be a great year, as John talked about today. Amelia Earhart, we want to know the truth, right? What happened to you? All right, where did you go? Two years ago, there was a terrible accident, and and it's haunting not only Malaysia, but it's haunting the world. It is. Because so many of us are traveling. So many of us are getting on flights all the time. We want to know not only poor people, you know, those poor poor souls on the plane, but we want to know, what about us? You know, when we get on a flight, if they can't figure this out, I mean, what, I mean, do we, if I get on a flight, am I going to disappear in the Bermuda Triangle or, you know, somewhere in South Asia as well? We need to know these things. But I thought about this a lot over the break. You know, it's like we, we were, we're spending billions, literally hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to look for this plane, because we need to know. But when we talk about what happens when we die, where we go, we're so afraid of it. We don't even touch it. I think that's why we busy ourselves busying ourselves. But that is the ultimate question. Don't you know the truth? What is the truth about where people go when they die? Where do we go when we die? And what about our friends? What about our neighbors? And where do they go? And what can we do about it? And it seems like God has put that burden on us. Right? As the church. Let me close out. The last thing is the life. The life. I challenge you to go back and find one single life that is more impacting than Jesus Christ. I challenge you. 
Go back. Anybody. Anybody. Even the top three, you know, religious figures in the world. I challenge you. Intellectually, emotionally, physically, historically, I challenge you. The life. And it's not just the life that is an idol being up there and says, Jesus, you're Jesus, well, I'm just me. Jesus says what? That we must follow in his footsteps. That those who says that they believe in God must walk as Jesus did. Scary, isn't it? 2016 is going to be a scary year. It is. Walking with Jesus is not easy. It's tough. The dude went to the cross, for goodness sake. Stoned by people or being, being, being threatened everywhere he went. Countercultural, counter-revolutionary. Changed the world upside down. It's going to be scary following somebody like that. So I have a few suggestions for how we can gear up. Amen? You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, uh, let's take a look at this. It says, For the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Okay? What does this point mean? Jesus says, listen, you don't have to. We don't have to go around looking for all these things to try to satisfy us. God knows exactly what we need in Jesus. He's going to fulfill us. Amen? In Hebrews chapter 10. The book of Hebrews breaks it down for us. What does that mean? That if we believe that Jesus is, I am, the great I am, the way, the truth, and the life. You see, the book of Hebrews was written to people that were wavering a little bit. They were like, Mm, you know, we're looking at the world here. It's a little bit tempting. Christianity is a little bit hard. It's, it's, it's not easy to change the world. I saw this commercial, which I thought was brilliant during the holidays. It was a commercial about um, online shopping. And it was a guy in his pajamas. And the tagline was, if you want to get the best deal, if you want to get the best discount, but don't want to change your pants, and then get online, you know, and shop online. I thought that was brilliant. Maybe you have to see it, but uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. He said, you want to change the world, but don't want to change your pants. You know, uh, we're going to have to change our pants, guys. We're going to have to change more than our pants. We're going to have to change a few things about us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open up for us through the curtain that is his body. He says, let us, number one, draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Let's break it down a little bit more. Our prayer time. I know some of us have made goals. We're going to pray more this year. We're going to get into the Word more. You know, let's, I want to dig through, maybe read through. Some of us, we haven't done this, maybe it's a good idea to start reading the Scriptures from the whole book of the Bible. How many of us have done that? 
read the whole book of the Bible, okay? It's about half. I want to encourage you, read the Bible. Read the whole Bible. It's hard to get one page and go, that's God. No, God reveals himself from beginning to end. The one thing that you got to do, you got to read the Bible. It's not too late. This is like, what, January 3rd? You can catch up. Go get up. Go get a program. Catch up. You can catch up starting today. Read the whole scripture. You can do it chronologically. You can do it biblically. You know, Genesis all the way in. Do it. Do it. Do it. I'm telling you, it will change your life. You're going to see who God is. You're going to see the unfolding of God in history. Amen? Read the Word. Pray. Get close to one another. When we talk to one another, the Bible encourages us to use psalms and hymns and, and songs and, and stuff like that. Let's, let's use biblical words. Let's use biblical languages. Let's use descriptions of God to really encourage one another. Amen? Number two. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. We're going to have our workshop coming up. And I'm going to send out a a quick survey uh, tonight or tomorrow morning. Depends on how, how much I can figure out. But I want us to get some thoughts on how we can help each other in the church more. What are some of the needs in the church? To really survey the church um, in that way. But at the end of the day, though, look what the Bible says. It says, it's the hope that we profess. It's the hope that we ourselves made before God. We're going to get a lot of help from the church. We're going to get a lot of help from one another. But at the end of the day, what does the book of Hebrews says? That we made that commitment ourselves. We were the ones that says, Jesus is Lord. We were the one that says, listen, I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to go. So when the church says, listen, as a church, we're going to go out, we're going to reach out to our community. As a church, we're going to get together and, and really get into each other's lives. That's not from the church, by the way. That's from the Bible. The hope that we profess ourselves. I want to bring that back to us. As we go into our workshop, I want us to think about this week, our own conversion and our own relationship with God. It's so much better, isn't it? Being tied into God. And it's like what what Robin talked about earlier. Human beings let us down. They really do. And we let others down. We let each other down. Let's be tied into God. I tell you what, it's so much better. Number three. Consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We live in a society today that is very electronic. We can vote, you know, dancing with the stars. We vote, text. What else do we vote in? You know, the voice. We vote, we text, we got a voice. We're empowered. Okay, we're, we're, we're judging all these things. You know, we can sit in the couch and judge and there's a good side to that because there is a voice, there's a bad side to that as well. In my day, there wasn't dancing with the stars, there was the Muppets. And these guys were really good at doing one thing. Critiquing. They sat in the back and, no, no, no offense, no offense, did you notice I made these fonts really big? All right, and 
Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thanks a lot. Uh, these guys were really good. And they would sit in the back. The Muppets would do their thing. They would sit in the back. I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can still see them in my mind. A modern day version of this is this. Be like the cool Tony Romo. And don't be like the nerdy paper mache Tony Romo. Okay. We have a choice. We have a choice. Which one we can be? We have a choice. We don't have to be like that. We can be part of the solution. We can look at ourselves. We say, well, what can I need to do? How do I need to be the change? Amen? You know, I love this scripture. They formed such a great friendship together, David uh, and Jonathan. And it wasn't because they shared the same page, you know, likes and they, they got great on the same sports team or whatever. But the Bible says, it says, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horash and helped him find strength in God. How do we spur one another on? We help each other find strength in God. We change for each other. We model things for each other. We spur one another on. That's the life to live. Amen? That's the life. That's the life that God wants us to live. As we close on out, it says, let us not give up a meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's get together. Let's not be begged to come to stuff. Let's be there by ourselves in understanding that we make a difference. When people don't go to stuff, there's a couple of things that I really feel. I go, man, they don't understand how important they are. They don't understand the impact that they have on other people. They don't really feel like they can make an You know, they don't, they don't really know who they really are, how needed they are, how special they are, that they are needed. And the book of Hebrews says, you know, don't get in the habit. I know that there are things that we need to do. You know, as my kid's bar mitzvah, whatever, I'm just throwing that out. You know, I'm going to go. You know, if it's a graduation, I'm going to go. But don't be in the habit of missing the fellowship. Bar mitzvah. Some of you guys say, I'm just, that's just an expression. But more than just going there, look what it says. He says, but let us encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. You know, it's a universal thing. It's not just us in this room that wants to change the world. I believe that we have the right tools. Jesus himself. But we haven't cornered the market in wanting to change the world. Gandhi gave up his life for this. He says, be the change you wish to see in the world. 2016 is going to be awesome. God bless you. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.